from National Securities Corporation. It's the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, where we discuss insights and trends from an investment banking perspective with the investors, corporate leaders, and other stakeholders participating in the industries that grow, process, and market the food that we consume. I'm Ivan Saval, and I oversee the Agribusiness and Food Coverage Group, providing capital markets and financial advisory. All podcast episodes are for informational purposes only and are not to be construed as a solicitation of securities. Any thoughts expressed by myself and or our guests are solely our own and are not those of National Securities Corporation. In today's podcast, we will be having a discussion with Carl Setzer, the Senior Risk Management Leader for Max Yield Cooperative based in Iowa. Our discussion will center around his observations in the grain sector, specifically corn and soybeans, as well as his thoughts on where the state of the farmer is and his views on where farmland is. This conversation is held over the phone, so the quality is not quite as good as prior podcasts, but we feel that the content is informative and interesting nonetheless. So to start this podcast, Carl, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my my current responsibilities and duties at Maxfield Co-op, I'm the uh, senior team risk manager, as you had stated here, Ivan. And my my job is to manage the uh, corn position, soybean position for Maxfield Co-op, hedging it. Uh, looking at possible strategies, and I also work with, uh, I have a, a grain team underneath me um, of specialists, that 12-member uh, team who go out and work with clients and develop risk management strategies for a client. So I kind of work uh, both ends of the candle there, so to speak. We're a, uh, a farmer-owned co-op in north-central, northwestern Iowa. Um, we have 22 grain locations, and on top of that, we also have uh, uh, convenience stores we own, some agronomy, some fuel centers, and uh, then we also do some sourcing of corn, some originating for some outside uh, companies. Um, like I said, we're pretty much a, uh, a full-service co-op selling you know, seed, fertilizer, fuel, all agronomy, all inputs, uh, uh, everything else, and, and uh, matter of fact, this is our 101st year in the industry. So we've uh, we've been around for a while. Well, you sound like just the right person to be talking to to understand where we are in the harvest. You know, here we are, another year of bumper crop, and uh, you know, be curious to get your thoughts on 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 where we are with the USDA estimate if it's coming in higher or lower than expected, uh, the quality and just get your feels to uh, where we are in the harvest and, and uh, you know, what you think different, uh, what's different today versus in years past. I think, you know, this year at harvest, we're, we're in the downhill slope of it um, through north central Iowa and then even up in the southern Minnesota even. We're probably 95 plus percent on soybeans and about 90 percent on corn. Um, a little bit to come in yet, but not too much. We've got most of it out. Uh, Quality-wise, um, this year, we're not having too many issues here um, as to what it was thought. First, it was thought we'd have some issues. Really, we skirted it. 
in north central Iowa, which is a good thing. I think most of the quality issues this year are going to be confined to the far eastern Corn Belt, which is is good for a buyer, and actually that's good for a U.S. market because uh, the buyers will show up looking for it, you know, meaning the export market. Um, looking at yields, boy, this year, um, you know, last year we said we'd never duplicate the yields we saw, and you know, be damned if we didn't. We're sitting here looking at a, a corn yield in Iowa. Um, you know, last year the the state average was. Uh, 195. It looks like we're going to have that. Maybe, maybe a little bit above. I think first state average will come in around that 90, 196. USDA has us at 198. I, I am a firm believer we're a little bit under that, but we are very, very close to it. Um, as far as soybeans go, we are going to have a phenomenal soybean crop up here this year, uh, back to back years of you know 60 bushel averages for soybeans um some clients take out 70 and 80 which is phenomenal and really it's it's the shot in the arm that agriculture needed up here you know when we look at these board values um some of the risk management i do with the guy and i shy away from yield or uh, price per bushel and and, and such i go with revenue per acre Mm-hmm. And when you look at the prices we have versus the yields we have, um, you know, $10 soybeans at, at 60 bushel a acre is the equivalent of $12 per bushel at 50 bushels. And, you know, you can back into it that way. When you look at it that way, our, our guys are not quite as disappointed with the low values we're seeing. And it's also causing a few more sales to take place out here. Guys are staying pretty, they're rewarding the market, which is what they really need to do in this in this stage, Ivan. Yeah. I remember back in August, the USDA came out and estimated uh, uh, corn acreage around 86.6 million acres. And they had uh, an estimate uh, that was going to be you know, higher than last year. I think they were expecting a record around 15.15 billion bushels of corn for 2016. What are your thoughts on, on where that's potentially coming in? Is it still going to be coming in at record levels? I, I think so. I really do. Um, I think we're going to have that 15.1 bil- you know, billion bushel. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if when all is said and done, that creeps up to that maybe 15.2 and 15.3 at the top side. That doesn't seem like a huge amount, but when you take another 200 million bushels of corn and put it on our carryout that we have projected, um, you know, we're, we're all of a sudden we're talking a, a 17, 18% stocks to use ratio. Um, you know, it's 300 million bushels more corn that we have to find a use for. Mm-hmm. So, so when it comes from the, I do believe that we may see a higher number, and I think it's going to come out of these fringe areas. Uh, the states that don't get a lot of recognition, uh, meaning Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, dry land corn out in Kansas and Nebraska, uh, the production is there, Ivan. I definitely think it's there. Yeah, and, and beans were estimated at $4.06 billion back in August, which would have been also higher than 2015. So overall, beans and corn looking to have an, uh, uh, at least are equal to or at least a, uh, or maybe even a greater than uh, production than than uh, years prior, which you know I, I've been I've been hearing. I don't know. It's it's really more anecdotal or, or on on the edges of of, uh, of of my conversations. But I'm just curious: are farmers 
seeing that yield through GMO seed, um, uh, or are are you seeing farmers looking to explore other more traditional seeds? Um, and it sort of gets along the theme of you know the weed resistance that's out there. Uh, how is that going to affect uh, future yields? And just want to get your thoughts on everything that's going on and on sort of the seed side of the industry. Yeah, even I think it's 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 a combination of several factors that are giving us these yields. Um, the big one is weather. We haven't had what I would call significant weather stre- uh, stress during a growing season for the last two years. Um, we haven't had the duplication of the 2012 drought. So that's helped us a lot. As far as the seed genetics, yes, I do believe that soybean genetics are finally catching up to where corn is. I think that is a big, uh, big factor in why we've seen these yields jump in the production. But also, um, you know, farmers are getting smarter. Um, mm-hmm. We're seeing a bigger use of the uh, uh, higher tech uh, farming practices, the variable rate seeding, the variable variety. Um, you know, it used to be a, a farmer would just, you know, he bought seed from XYZ seed company because that's where his father bought it and his grandfather. We're not seeing that anymore. We're seeing uh, farmers diversify a little bit and, and maybe plant this variety in this field and this variety in this field and even commingling them in certain fields. And, you know, planning where a part of a field that is has better production potential, maybe seeding that a little heavier than, than the other end of the field. And all of these practices have really started to pay off for these guys, uh, you know, the precision egg. And a lot of it they're coming to find out is actually saving them money in the long run because they're not wasting seed in an area where it's not going to do that good. So um, I think it's a combination of all those factors. Uh, We've actually seen a little bit of a shift away from some GMO uh, types of seeds, um, uh, mainly like the Roundup Ready seed out here uh, in in Iowa, just from the fact that it's become so resistant to weed control that it's starting to cause a problem. So we've seen a little bit of a shifting um, but don't get me wrong, it's not going to go anywhere. We're, we'll stay with a GMO seed. Yeah. It might just be a different variety, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, more volume and, and continued downward pressure on pricing. Where, where do you think we are in the overall cycle? I'd like to say that we're we're in the bottom. Um you know, we, we've seen some, some changes here in the financial outlook from the farmers on a whole. Um, you know, we're not seeing the huge equipment sales. We're not seeing, you know, everybody stick their neck out. Um, guys are, are molding their operations and changing their mindsets a little bit. One of the big ones uh, that we've seen here in the last, oh, probably 90 days is the, the way the farmer looks at his land values, Ivan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guys that were willing to jump out and spend $300, $350 an acre for cash rent are now around that $250 mark. They've actually lost, you know, they've cut back about $100 an acre that they're willing to spend because they have to. Um, that's, you know, the one one part of it, the bad part, you know, the, the flip side of that story <clears throat> you got to be careful on when you, you negotiate these cash rents because 
there there will always be somebody willing to pay a price that you're not. And, you know, we are seeing some, some farmers give up land. And, you know, I'm a firm believer if you can't make money at it, don't do it. Um, you know, if, if if you can't make money at renting $300 an acre cash rent, don't do it just to save your pride and your ego because that'll break you faster than anything. Let it go, maybe streamline your business a little bit and concentrate on the acres that you know you can be profitable on. Mm-hmm. So are you seeing more, more com- are you hearing about more conversations between farmland owners and their tenants to, to reset rent prices or has, has the cycle reached that part or is it uh, not yet as, as bad as what it uh, potentially could be? I think I think we are at that. There's there's a lot of conversation going on between landlords and tenants, and that's a good sign. Um, keeping communication mm-hmm. going is always a good sign. Um, you know, I when I I'm going to hesitantly say I think we're at the bottom of the, the the financial stress for the Midwest. I think I think it's as bad as it's going to get for now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll leave a little disclaimer because. You know, we have an election taking place, and nobody knows what that wrench that'll throw in everything. Mm-hmm. But all things we're looking at here, um, prior to November eighth, I think I think we're at the bottom. Um, you know, farmers are doing what they can, I, I, and I'm not going to say there's not going to be some uh, casualties from this yet. But th- this is the hand we've been dealt. I think, uh, uh, and the reason I say that is. Land values have backed off a little bit, I even. Yeah, but they, back, they haven't backed off too much. And looking at the USDA's recent land survey, um, you know, I think, I don't have it in front of me, but I think the results were, were that the land values have been mostly flat to slightly declining, but there's not been a complete collapse in farmland value. Correct. And you know, even even the slight decline, though, in a in an agricultural bubble, when when things start to slide, at least out that we see out here, land values are the last one to tip. So the, to me, the the simple fact that they've steadied and declined even a slight amount tells me we've seen a short term high in land values. Will they come back eventually? Yes, they'll come back, and they'll be even higher than what we've just seen. We've been speaking with Carl Sutzer, the Senior Risk Management Leader of Max Yield Cooperative. We've been discussing his views on the state of the farmer, the corn and bean production, as well as his thoughts as to where farmland values are and where they may go. Let's move on to our next question and hear Carl's views on what he's seeing in terms of investment in the sector. Carl, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing or what conversations that you may be having as it relates to investment in the sector as compared to years past? Yeah, good you know, good question. And and really the the investment we've seen um, you know, in my immediate backyard here has been a little on the uh slow side recently. Um, you know, investing in agriculture on a whole has been down. We haven't seen the uh, run-ups and, you know, the, the ethanol industry has plateaued. Um, biodiesel is yet to build. Uh, so we've, we've seen some, you know, haven't seen the big private investors come in that we did back in, you know, the 08 market run-up and then, you know, a few years past that. 
Um, one thing we have seen some is in the feed industry. Um, we've seen some uh, buying uh, facilities, you know, large feed mills that have been picked up. Um, you know, and really, you know, it's China that's in, in doing some of that. They've bought some feed mills, bought some integrated hog production, mm-hmm. uh, rather than to continue to expand the hog production in China. Looks like they're going to come to the U.S., um, buy the uh, uh, hog facilities here and then just move the pork over. And that's probably the biggest one that we've seen in, in you know, the past year or two. Um, yeah. Other other than that, it's been pretty pretty calm in our area. Well, on the co-op side, there's also been some consolidation, hasn't there? I mean, we've seen yes. FC and West Central and 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 several other regional smaller co-ops. Uh, do, do you think that's been more frequent than in years past? And and if so, what do you think is driving that? You know, I, I think it's. I'm. I don't know as if it's more frequent. I think it's getting more publicized because of the size of the co-ops that are coming together. Um, when West Central and FC came together, obviously that was a huge deal. Um, you know, you're, we're seeing more and more absorption of, of the, the co-ops. And, you know, matter of last spring, we, we bought some facilities from the Andersons to our, our Western area here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, this is something that we're probably going to see for the next, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years easily. And the reason is it's a twofold reason. Number one is the buying and the selling power. You get the bigger co-op, you get, you know, fertilizer you can buy cheaper, your chemicals, um, fuels. When it comes to grain, we can market more, uh, get better bids, get better uh, revenue that we can pass along to our clientele. I do think this is something that is is probably, uh, like I said, it's going to snowball and it's going to keep going. Mm -hmm. It's it's been happening. I just think the media is picking up on it more uh, in today's world, Ivan. Mm -hmm. And and do you think as costs grow larger that they will start to explore the export markets uh, from a captive perspective instead of selling to the ADMs, Bungies, or Cargills, or the Louis Dreyfuses? Do you you foresee co-ops getting large enough that that they uh, they set up their own export operations? Um, right here, where where I sit regionally, most of ours will not. Um, our internal demand is is big enough that I could see um, where we go to an ethanol plant and say, "Look, we'll supply all your corn to you." Um, or we'll supply three months of corn, or we'll supply six months and take them out of the market and keep our, our demand base there. Um, the fringe, you know, we get out into the, you know, the Missouri River, the uh, Mississippi, along the Illinois River. Yeah, I could see it happening there because they have access straight to the barges. It'd be a little bit easier for them to do that than than us here uh, sitting in the interior market. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, certainly, uh, certainly, fun times in the grain space. A lot of activity going on. You know, this is typical when we're at the bottom of a cycle. We start to see consolidation. Uh, investors exploring where they can be deploying capital and getting the highest return. Uh, the feed side is not too surprising. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of value there that uh, that could be uh, be had uh, uh, in terms of putting the right rations together and, and maximizing the uh, 
uh, the ability to buy low and then sell the, the feed uh, rations high. So I, I, I see that as a potential area of value, and I think investors will continue to look at that sector. Um, listen, this has been very interesting, Carl. I, I think what I'd like to leave the podcast with is, is, is the question of what didn't I ask you that you thought I might have asked you. Um, you know, surely there's something I'm missing, uh, and I appreciate your thoughts as, as we close our discussion um, and, and uh, uh, you know, just kind of curious what I should have been asking and, and what you think. You know, one one thing I'm I'm keeping a uh, probably a bigger eye on, and we didn't we didn't uh, touch on this is, you know, the the acres that we looked at the 86.8, uh, excuse me, 86.8 million of corn that we produced this year, 83 million on soybeans, with the uh, economic outlook and the yields, you know, and we're starting to see some fertilizer companies throw some number out of and maybe only uh, 80 million acres of corn next year and, and jumping that soybean number up. I I really don't think it's going to be as extreme as what everybody's put out, Ivan, but I'm mm-hmm. going to keep a very close eye on it. Um, if we see corn acres drop to 80 million, um, which is possible, uh, you know, for, for harvested acres, planted acres, you know, would be a, uh, around that 88 million. Um, if we don't see the huge yield on corn, even though we're projected to have a 2.3 billion bushel carryout and something I think could climb to 2.5 pretty fast, we see that big of a drop, we could all of a sudden see corn carryout drop back down to that 1.6, 1.7 billion bushel area without a weather issue. So I think we really, uh, one of the big economic factors, um, you know, and it's it's going to come back to which crop guys want to plant from an economic point of view. Um, and I do see them leaning a little bit heavier on soybeans next year wherever possible because of the good crops we've seen and the low cost of production. Yeah, which I think that'd be good for the fertilizer guys. You know, my understanding is that soybeans require a little bit more in, in terms of crop inputs and nutrients than does corn in order to have the, the right level of soil fertility. So if farmers were to rotate into soybeans, uh, you know, they're going to be buying the, uh, the NPK more than they would have if they did corn on corn. And, and, and you know, even more so is the fungicide. Um, you know, the fungicides and, and everything else that, that go with the soybeans that we don't need on the corn. So, um, you know, everybody thinks soybeans are very cheap. They're not, they still have input costs associated with them. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's something we need to keep an eye on, especially over the next 90 days here when farmers are making their planning decisions for the uh, 2017-18 crop, Ivan. Yeah, so when, when do you think we'll have more visibility there? That you think it's going to be um, 90 days out? Do, do, do they do they start planting in uh, in early March? Um, in March, we'll start to see some, usually more into mid-April, but the seed seeds will be booked um, usually by the end of December. A lot of farmers have their seed booked and their inputs booked um, for tax purposes and et cetera. Oh, okay. Very interesting. In the next uh, next 45 days, I think we'll have a pretty uh, a better handle of what we're going to see for acres. Yeah. Well, that would be a seismic shift if we went down 80 acres of corn. That would be huge. Um, my opinion that 
I'm a little bit. I'm more concerned. I'm I'm more concerned about that than anything else cutting into the uh, uh, acreage. And on the flip side, that is something we need to promote corn right now to get corn values back up. Granted, a 1.7 billion bushel carryout is not rationing by any means, but it's it's a bullish number compared to 2.5 billion. So. Well, Carl, you've provided a lot of very good information, uh, especially for those investors who are running financial models and assumptions that drive those financial models for uh, their underlying portfolio companies or companies they want to acquire. So I think this has been very informative, and I want to thank you, my friend, for the time. I know that uh, you're a very busy person. So thank you very much, Carl, and I look forward to seeing you on uh, my next trip to Iowa. Perfect. Sounds good, Ivan. All right, Carl. Have a great day. Thank you. This discussion has been brought to you by the Agribusiness Advisor Podcast, sponsored by National Securities Corporation, a full-service investment banking firm, member FINRA. Please stay tuned for future conversations with leadership in the agribusiness sectors. If you have comments, questions, please feel free to reach out, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you, and here's to next time.